Well, it's really good to be with you this morning, and uh, well, love to hear and see those words from our new members. I feel like we just added to our family, and we did. And uh, make sure if you see them today or in the coming weeks, you give them a hearty hi and welcome. And maybe that means that the next time, in six more months when we have this, you want to be a part of that intense six-hour no, I don't know if James was joking or not. I don't think it was that bad or that long. But uh, the Chelton 101 class that tells them or you about Chelton, and we get to know you in that process. So it is good to see you this morning, and you do look a bit different than last week. That's because God is working on each one of us, revealing our true identity moment by moment, day by day, as we look at Christ and he starts to whittle away our old self and as we put on our new self. Have you ever seen these videos where there's a, a big log and then somebody gets a chainsaw and maybe they put it in fast motion, you know? And in 30 seconds, there you see this beautiful eagle out of a tree. Well, that's what God is doing. Christ is in us, and we are in him, and he is fashioning us until one day we will be totally like Jesus. And sometimes it takes a little knife or a scalpel. I hope it doesn't take a chainsaw, but uh, sometimes it may feel that way, right? God, what are you doing? And what he's doing is revealing more and more of his purpose in our lives. Now, I say that because this morning you heard what our passage is here, right? It's a long one, and I have a lot to say. I will try to be as brief as I can, but I know that some of you will have questions, and some of you may even have some challenges to what I say. Uh, for some of you, it will be new. For others of you, it will be unsettling. And I hope for all of us, challenging. Why? Because this section shows in three relationships that are just the closest we have. Marriage, family, and job. It shows the new creation that God is working out in our lives and among us in our relationships to each other. Now, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. Remember, the book of Ephesians is written in halves. The first half of the book explains our great identity in Jesus. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are adopted we are forgiven and redeemed. And then the second part of the book, beginning in chapter 4, Paul says, now that that is who you are, be who God has created you to be. And we've been looking at that for the last few weeks. So today, our passage is really coming out of what we heard from Pastor Jin last week, where Paul ends in verse 18 and says, 
be filled with the Spirit of God, be controlled by it, just like alcohol controls someone who is drunken, so let the Spirit of God so be in you and control you and spill out through you. And in verse 19, he says, it will look like this. The way you sing and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs of the Holy Spirit. The way you give thanks in everything to God and let other people know of your gratefulness. And then the last result that he gives is really the beginning of our passage today. It acts like a hinge. And it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, as soon as you hear that word, submit, I'm sure that at least for some of you, Maybe you wish you were watching this on live stream because you could click stop, exit, and this sermon is not for me. Why? Because that word, for some of you, sounds like a weapon that might hurt. But today, it's, it's, it's my privilege and my task to say, no, no. This word is a gift that God has given to his people. For some of you, it might feel like a scalpel or a chainsaw, but believe me, it's God's way of showing who we are in Christ and what we must do to let that new life flow out. It says in verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. And so what he's going to do after he makes the umbrella statement in verse 21, we submit to everyone because we fear Christ, he then takes three relationships, marriage, and he will talk to wives and husbands under that umbrella of mutual submission. Then he will take family and he will talk to children and fathers. And then he will take our jobs, or in the ancient world, slaves and masters, here's how you work together. That's where we're going. And I've got to just say, to start with, that the word submit, if you don't like the feeling of it, here's another word you could substitute for it, defer. Because this word is so rich that it embodies the gospel. For instance, here's what Jesus said in Mark 9.35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Or Paul said in Romans 12.10, honor one another above yourself. Or Galatians 5.13, serve one another humbly in love. Or Philippians 2, we just heard this a few minutes ago. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. 
You hear it? So when Paul uses another word, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's, this is not a one-off. This is not something, what, Paul? Are you really a man of your times? This patriarchy, this dominant view of society. No, Paul is giving us the gospel. And what we're going to talk about when we talk about submission today as the overall concept does not mean being silent or blindly serving or even obeying or taking abuse from someone above you. No. It does mean to defer or to put the needs of others above your own. Now, have I upset some of you? <laughs> well, I'm not finished. <laughs> We're just getting started. I really, I'm not, me, I, I will say, in preparing for this over the last few weeks, I have learned so much, not just in my head, but in my life and heart as well. So the scalpel that you might think is in my hand out toward you is being applied to my own life and my own heart as well. So let's dig in. The first one is in chapter 5. It begins in verse 22, and it goes all the way to the end in verse 33. It talks about marriage with husbands and wives. Here's the big idea. Wives are to submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says in verse 22. So the call for Christian wives is to follow the leadership of their husbands. And the second part, actually the largest number of verses in this whole section that spills over to chapter 6, is devoted to, you got it, men, husbands. And it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church, verse 25. So Paul is commanding us to love and care for in a self-sacrificing way our wives. That's it, in a nutshell. Now, some people might say, yeah, but uh, I'm not sure that Paul here is really, you know, he's, he's a man of his day. He's part of that Roman Empire where the emperor was in charge of everything and people in power were in charge and Paul's just reflecting his own culture. Well, first of all, that is just not true. You can read the scholarship on it. People have studied, Christians and non-Christians, have studied the ancient world, the documents that come from us. And the conclusion is that Paul here is opposing every view of marriage that was present in the Roman culture at that time. He is not simply reflecting and rubber stamping some sort of patriarchal view of marriage. No. God's plan that Paul reveals subverts our ideas. 
it, it takes it, it challenges it, and then it transforms it. So what you're going to hear today is not, oh, it's the same, or it's the way it was, or it's tradition or something like that. No, no. This is the gospel way. This is the third way, the middle way, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it the way of the cross, the cruciform way. So let's talk more about what he says to wives here and submission. And that word that sadly has been weaponized by some people, by some men, to create harm. Submission is not obedience. Now, how can I say that? Well, because in this very passage, Paul knows what the word is, and he uses it in verse 1, children, obey your parents. And in verse uh, 6, slaves are, in verse 5, slaves are to obey their masters. He doesn't say that. He could have. He doesn't use the word obey. Submission is not obedience or blind obedience. It may involve that, but that's not what it is at its core. It's not being a doormat. It's not being silent. It's not doing something illegal, sinful, or subjecting yourself to abuse. It's not being under total control or being domineered against your will. That is abuse, and that is wrong. And Paul and God and pastors and Christians should never endorse any kind of view of marriage that calls for that. It is following the leadership of their husbands, deferring to them, discussing with them, disagreeing with them in teamwork to resolve difficulties. It's allowing their husbands to lead the vision of the family within a context of open relationship. It's praying that their husbands care about God and their families. It's a delicate harmony where both parties are humbling themselves constantly before God and each other and then being open to see where they may be blind or prideful or selfish. That's what submission means for Christian wives. And if some of you might be sitting here thinking, hold it, I'm not married. Paul wasn't either. Jesus wasn't either. Paul didn't have children. We're going to discuss them next. Paul was never a parent. Jesus never had physical children either. So I know you may be tempted to check out a bit, but please do not. When Paul wrote this, he didn't say, now dismiss everybody except, and I'll talk to them. No, it's really important that all of us understand God's vision for what marriage is. So, how about that? Wives, follow the leadership of your husband. Husbands, here we go. Like I said earlier, guys, 
listen up, Paul devotes nine verses. It's the most to any one of these six groups. I kind of think that's because we need the two-by-four that says, you ready? Here it is. And I would have thought, if Paul was reflecting the culture of his day, he would say something like this. Husbands, rule your wives. Husbands, lead your wives, or something like that. Especially, we just had the word submit. Isn't the opposite lead, rule? But Paul says, love. What? Love? You mean, I'm not king of my castle? And Paul would say, no, you're servant in your castle. Now, you, some of you know, now all of you will know, that I always talk about my sermon with my wife ahead of time. And anything good goes to her. <laughs> you should see what I throw away and scratch and what's left. Be that as it may, she reminded me of something that I, in my brain, had forgotten. She said, remember how, when the kids were little, you used to walk into the den when we were watching TV and grab the remote and put on what you wanted to watch? Because you knew more about all the electronics and the remotes and the blah, blah, blah. I said, uh, <clears throat> I don't remember that. <laughs> It's my house. It's my remote. No, what I have learned, I hope since then, is what Paul says in verse 25 when he says, love as Christ loved the church. Now, see what I mean? This is a third way. This is a gospel way. Husbands have authority, but it's Christ like authority. Well, what does that mean? And he spells it out. He died for the church. He gave himself for her. He submitted his life underneath for our good. That's what this is all about. We must die, men, to our desire for our own time, our own resources, our own physical affection. You can fill that in especially when wives might be tired or sick or sad. The word demand shouldn't even be in our vocabulary, let alone our actions. This unconditional love is the standard that Christ sets for us. Man, who can meet it for sure? He loved his enemies. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Hopefully, you were not married to an enemy, but even if you look at your wife that way, that's who you should love. Jesus said, love your enemies. This is the highest and the hardest love. It's deferring to the other. It's submitting to the needs of our wives. And our wives should not have to earn their husband's love by fill in the blank making food, keeping the house, 
You fill it in. You better delete that from your programming, too. We love unconditionally, always, selflessly. And if you're like me, you say, I can't do that. And I'm going to say yes and no. No, you can't. You can't fully do it, and you can't for sure do it on your own, but you can do it. <laughs> Because we are new creations in Christ. Our hearts have been transformed. One step in the right direction is one more removing of that sinful exterior, and the new creation is coming out. And Paul even says in 28 and 29 that we're supposed to feed or nourish and care for or cherish our wives. But he doesn't say it that way. Paul, the guy, says to the guys, look, you like to eat, you like to take care of yourself. It's only natural, right? Self-preservation, self-care, that's the word of the moment. Paul says, all right, tap into that. Take care of yourself. Oh, and by the way, you are one with your wife. <laughs> Because that's what marriage is. Two plus, no, one plus one doesn't equal two, it equals one. So when you care for your wife, you're actually caring for yourself. That's gospel marriage. That's what it means to submit our selfish hearts to our wives. So if, if we, men, husbands, have the authority to lovingly lead in our family, and our wives are supposed to submit to us, it's not like this. What Paul says reduces the space. It shortens the gap. Now, it doesn't make us total equals, no. Our church does not believe in egalitarianism, that there is no difference between the genders and the sexes and we're all kind of equal before Christ. No. How could you, read, how could you think that if you read this passage? It says specifically different commands, different roles, different expectations, and even more. Paul says, marriage isn't really all that important. There's something far more important going on here. You say, hold it. I thought we're talking about marriage and parenting. And, yeah, and Paul says, let me blow you away with something that was totally unknown until Jesus came And his apostles are revealing this mystery. And here's what it is. Marriage is a picture of something much better. What is it? It's the relationship of, in the Old Testament, God to his people. God is the divine lover in love with his people, even though they may want to commit adultery with him. Remember Hosea, all the images? And now Jesus has come, and Jesus is the groom, and we are the bride. And Paul says, the church submits to her master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And her Lord 
gave his life for his people. So if you're not married, that's fine. It's not like, oh, this is an idol that everyone must achieve. The most important thing is, are you a believer in Jesus because you are spiritually married to your heavenly groom? And that's the most important relationship ever because it lasts forever. Marriage is just a thing that we put on, like I'm wearing a sweater today because it's cooler today, and then I'll take it off later. Well, now I say, <laughs> where do I stop here? Well, let me tell you that our church will be having uh, in the winter, spring, sometime, we're yet to nail down a date, we're working on a marriage workshop. We're also having, starting in January, a 12-week adult Sunday school class entitled Divine Design, God's Plan for Men and Women that will be taught by different elders every week. So stay tuned. There's much more to say here. But let me summarize the way Paul wraps it up. The last verse, verse 33, where he says, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That is what mutual submission means. One more time, it means following in your heart, wives, your husband as he follows Christ, and husbands self-sacrificingly giving yourselves to meet the need, needs of your wives. Let that start here, even today. Have conversations after church. If you're upset, good. You know why? Because like, like a dentist, maybe I just knocked on a tooth there, ah, and there's some decay there. I don't mean to be mean. I want you to have a better marriage. I want you to be a better wife, a better husband. And we need to start in the way Paul says here, at the foot of the cross. All right. Second, parenting. Now, I won't take as much time here. He says, first of all, to children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, that's kind of easy, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, that means to follow what your parents tell you because that's what God wants for you. It's easy to say, but if you're a kid, it's not so easy, especially when you don't like what they just told you, right? Now, remember, if your parents tell you to do something illegal or sinful or something that puts you in an abusive place, no! You do not obey them. When it says, in the Lord, it means if you are following Jesus, Jesus wants you to obey your parents. He, th those are the parents he gave you. It's not random. 
They know you, and hopefully they love you. And even if they tell you something that doesn't make sense to you, swallow it, realize, yeah, mom and dad know better, and even more, God knows better, so I don't understand. Lord Jesus, I'm going to follow you by obeying my mom and dad. And it's not just for kids, because Paul quotes one of the Ten Commandments that says, honor your father and mother. Honor, that's different than obey. That's a command that never goes away. As long as your parents are alive, no matter how old you are, there should be a sense not of obeying, but of honoring them. And then in verse uh, 4, he comes to dads, fathers. And you might think, well, there goes Paul again. Why doesn't he say fathers and mothers? Well, you know what? He knew the word because he used it in verse 1. Obey your parents. So when he says in verse 4, fathers, what is he doing? He's showing that fathers are the ones that are responsible, just like in marriage, so in their families, fathers are responsible for their children's training in godliness. I know, guys, I'm beaten up on us today, but I'm already black and blue, okay? But that's what God's plan is. It's... It's not the primary job of our church to train your kids. In fact, our children's ministry mission statement says that we are joining with families on the journey to tell the next generation the words of the Lord, that they may pass it on. So the first thing he tells dads is, and this is so like us, isn't it? Don't exasperate your kids. Now, I texted my kids. <laughs> How did I exasperate you? And I think I told this story one other time maybe, but one daughter didn't write back, but she was out of town, so I'll give her a pass. I'm sure she could say something. But the other one, in a matter of seconds, <laughs> sent something back from when she was little. She still remembers this thing. And I shouldn't, well, I'm not going to say it, but it's kind of funny to me, but not to her. I raised an expectation about getting ice cream at some place by simply saying, do you want to go there? Not that I was planning to do it, but I just thought, oh, well, let's survey the opinions as to what is out there. <laughs> and I must have done it more than once, or when I did it, it must have really hurt because it's still an open wound. How do you exasperate your kids? Well, it's not that hard, right? So I just wrote down a few things, like when we expect perfection and don't get it, or when we inappropriately tease them or nag them, or don't trust them. And here's the, here's the real one, I think. When we do something that we tell them not to do, you know, kids could smell hypocrisy miles away. So what do you do, dads and moms, but dads, that turns away your kids from the gospel? 
You ever th- and if you don't know the answer to that, ask your wife or ask your kids. Now, talk about a hard conversation. Be ready to listen. I've had those. It doesn't feel good. Or, what are we doing, men, to turn our kids to the Lord? Like, do you ever pray with your kids? Do you ever just sit down and listen and have fun? But are there spiritual conversations about what's right and wrong and the Bible and involvement in church and honesty and sexual purity and, and it goes on? Oh, well, they'll get that somewhere else. Or, I got to get to work. I was just thinking, at one time in my life, I had one full-time job and three part-time jobs. I know what it is to think, yeah, I don't have time for that. Thankfully, I've got a godly wife that'll do that. That stinks. It's one thing to delegate, but it's another thing to abrogate. And I did that more than once. So what Paul says, one more time, dads, train and instruct your children. Now watch what happens again. I'm the dad, I'm the father, I'm the parents, we are the parents, yeah, and you're the kids. Yeah, and and what has happened now? Paul has said, children, move toward your parents in obedience, and Dads and moms, don't exasperate. Train them. Get into their lives. The authority is still there, but the gap is shortened. All right. Here's where we all live and work, if we still do. Work. What does Paul say? Now, it sounds kind of foreign to us because he starts off, with, verse 5, slaves. So, time out, let me say something about this. Because again, some people read the New Testament and they say, see, Paul is endorsing slavery. So therefore, we can't take everything he says, let alone especially this kind of teaching about authority and submission and all that. Okay, hold on. Number one, Paul never endorses slavery. Never, ever. Slavery, as it exists in a social structure, is always wrong and sinful, just like divorce. The Bible never countenances, approves divorce, it allows it as part of the fallen human condition. And secondly, Roman slavery was different than American slavery of black people there were some key differences. First of all, in Paul's day, slavery was never based on race. They were conquered peoples that were brought into the Roman Empire. It didn't matter. They came from all sorts of Germania as well as Africa. Race was not on the table. Secondly, in Roman slavery, you could buy your way to freedom. And that was not true largely in American slavery. And third, Every job imaginable in the Roman Empire was open to slaves. You couldn't really tell if somebody was a slave or a free person unless they said it or you knew it. 
So even though there are not equal apples and apples, Paul is not endorsing it. He is subverting slavery. He is injecting Christ into the sinful institution, and it's no wonder that after a couple hundred years, slavery in the Roman Empire disappeared. So what does he do? He tells slaves, obey their masters. And hold it. Paul talks to slaves? Yes. Isn't that interesting? Because in the Roman Empire, you wouldn't even say, we're going to tell slaves something. You just, no, you don't tell slaves anything. You talk to the masters. He starts with slaves. And what he says is, follow Christ by obeying your master. Sound familiar? <laughs> That's what he told children. If you keep your eye on Jesus, you will follow your master as long as he's not leading you into something illegal, something sinful, or something abusive to you. That's really important. Now, you might say, well, hold it, slavery, jobs? Yeah, have you ever felt that way in your job? Maybe, maybe you've got a contract you don't like or you want to get out of, or your boss tells you, or your supervisor gives you an evaluation. <sighs> well, maybe you feel just a little bit the way a Roman slave felt. Do you see what Paul says? Take that frustration and remember, that's the old self. The new self loves Jesus, follows wants to meet the needs of others, that's not easy. Paul says, do it. And I can remember on my first job, somebody telling me, hey, when the boss comes in, look busy. Then he won't give you anything new to do. Which served me well, I suppose, for a while. <laughs> but as I look back on it now, no, I shouldn't have done that. What, what Paul says is, yeah, that boss may be out of the office, not looking at you, but your real boss is looking at you all the time. You see, the more we become God-centered, the more we understand that we can float inside these structures that we may not be happy with because God's in charge of everything. And then for masters, Supervisors, bosses, some of you own your own business. Maybe you're your own boss. <laughs> I don't know. What does it say? Masters, verse 9. Treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism. Watch it again. Here's the master over the slave. And the slave follows the heavenly master, and the earthly master follows the heavenly master. And the distance is shortening as the gap is closing. Can you imagine just for a moment then, if Chelton, one church, had one attitude? And you know, I, start, I, I think I heard this in a lot of those videos. 
We want to join Chelton so that we can serve somehow, serve other people. That's, that's what being a Christian is. We are called to love others, to put the needs of other people before our own needs. Not that we forget ourselves totally, but there's somebody else more important, you. You know, that's what love is, right? Love is wanting the good of someone else. And Jesus said by this, all people will know you're my disciples. A watching world is waiting for us, Chelton, to be the kind of new creation people in our marriages, in our parenting, and on our jobs. Word spreads. I know bad news spreads quick. Good news spreads too. And don't forget that our Lord Jesus said of himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. So, Lord Jesus, we ask you, our great Savior and heavenly Lord, to break us, break us of our selfishness, help us to remember that we are new creations, and you want us to live it out more and more. Have your way with us, we pray. And thank you for the better way that you direct us to. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.